from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. There's no money to be made in Texas County, Missouri, for example, providing internet to anybody. Each rural co-op has to decide that they want to get into the broadband business. Um, and so it's it's not like all the co-ops have decided that. Um, some have lots of reasons for why it's not a good move for them maybe at this time. Um, a lot of these organizations are kind of risk averse. They don't want to be the first one to try it. You know, there is a cost associated with waiting. Um, you know, those are all going to be missed opportunities the longer you wait to get broadband access. But you do have that trade-off of like, well, yeah, it might be cheaper if you wait. Because, um, yeah, we don't know exactly what technologies are going to take off. You know, there's the satellites, there's 5G, there's lots of technologies in the mix. I'm Jonathan All. If the pandemic taught us anything, it's that a lot of our lives can be done online and remotely. But for people trying to work or learn from home in rural areas, the lack of access to high-speed internet made that somewhere between difficult and impossible. Rural broadband access has been an issue for years and is attracting more and more research. In fact, the first Ph.D. granted by Missouri University of Science and Technology's Newcomer College for Innovation, Entrepreneurship and Economic Development, was to a degree candidate studying rural broadband. Javier Valentin Civico's dissertation was titled Evaluating Barriers to and Impacts of Rural Broadband Access. As part of his work, he helped set up a broadband in a small town near Kansas City and measured the results. He found there were pretty specific ways that a community or rural town could bring in high-speed Internet in a way that is cost-effective and allows for future growth. As part of the benefit-cost analysis, we we incorporated a sensitivity analysis, right? So in some of these scenarios, you could start adding some variation, different scenarios. So, like, if we're able to retain all the businesses that we have and we're able to attract, let's say, 10% businesses, uh, so how much infrastructure we need to put in place to support that type of growth? And then also when, when they're defining the solution, try to visualize, you know, how much they will need for maintaining the current solution, but then also how easy it will be to upgrade the system to a different level. Because if you're successful in attracting new businesses, then you want to be able to to upgrade your system without having to redo the whole project, right? So because if you put in place a solution that it's easily upgradable, then, you know, by having a a margin investment, you might be able to support uh, the new business relocating. So... I think some of the tools that we have worked and we have proposed will allow them to take a hard look at what are the requirements of the community now and then start thinking about, you know, what type of changes they will make down the line to support the the community as it continues to evolve. And then he created a toolkit to help communities find the best way to get broadband access. It's basically like a like a generic way for you to define a a broadband project. And then the idea is like communities, there are some communities that they recognize their need and some of 
the local leaders and some of the residents are working together towards starting projects uh, and then basically working with the local governments or even applying for federal funding so that they can work on their solutions themselves. So this particular initiative, one of the goals is to provide tools for these community-driven broadband projects so that they could understand like what are the different requirements and what are the community characteristics that they should take into account when identifying you know, what broadband infrastructure could serve their need. Joining me now in our Rala Bureau to talk about this more is Casey Canfield. She was Javier's advisor and is an assistant professor of engineering management and systems engineering at Missouri S&T. Uh, Casey, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So uh, a PhD research on rural broadband, it sounds like we're getting more and more people looking very carefully at how to solve this problem. Do you think we're getting any closer to actually solving it? Well, it's a complex problem. Um, You know, the piece that Javier and I are really focused on is kind of the decision making about the transition and trying to figure out what are some ways that we can think about prioritizing technology options? Uh, How can we think about how to frame a benefit cost analysis? How can we estimate what the benefits are going to be? So we're really focused on that one little piece of it, (laughs) which is just one part of a much larger problem. Well, and and I, it sounded like in, in Javier's dissertation that one of the issues also is still making the case to counties or regional planning commissions or economic development that broadband is as necessary as a new road, a new wastewater treatment plant. Not that those things aren't very important, but um, do, do you think that, that there's still the sell job to get people in rural areas to really embrace the idea that high-speed internet is that critical? Well, I think it's it's mostly a prioritization problem, right? Because you have all of those problems that all need to be solved. And there's different people whose job it is to solve those different problems. And so part of it is a question of, um, you know, for example, like we talked to the regional planning uh, organizations, and they've been really focused historically on water, transportation, wastewater. And so broadband is kind of a newer thing. And there's definitely questions about like, is that something that the regional planning commissions should be focused on? Is that someone else's job? Is it a public sector problem? Is it a private sector problem? Um, So that's part of what makes this such a complex issue is that, you know, part of it is unclear is like whose job it is to solve this. Um, You know, sometimes those actors aren't always in place. Um, but also just that prioritization piece of, you know, it, it is a really hard decision to decide, okay, we're going to put in um, broadband instead of fixing water pipes. Mm-hmm. Or lead pipes, yeah. as we, yeah. we, we heard earlier in the show. So um, I'm whose job is it is obviously one of the big issues because for most urban areas, um, there are for-profit companies that can make a lot of money providing internet to people. There's no money to be made in Texas County, Missouri, for example, providing Internet to anybody. So, you know, you you mentioned governments, but uh, I'm wondering, like electric co-ops, some of them see this as their job. They they liken it to the electrification in the 1930s to rural electrification. I mean, 
is it going to be a patchwork solve solution? Yeah, I definitely think it will be more of a, a patchwork approach um, because, yeah, because it's each rural co-op has to decide that they want to get into the broadband business. Um, and so it's it's not like all the co-ops have decided that um, some have lots of reasons for why it's not a good move for them, maybe at this time. Um, a lot of these organizations are kind of risk averse. They don't want to be the first one to try it. Um, there's also, you know, labor constraints. Um, so, you know, if you're in a rural area trying to hire the people who have the expertise to start a broadband business. And so, yeah, there's certainly a lot of barriers. <laughs> um, and so trying to think creatively about like, okay, well, how can we pool resources between co-ops? Um, how can we think about um, different midterm solutions? Like maybe wireless networks uh, can be installed faster so we can put those in place until eventually we can put fiber uh, in different areas. And so that's part of what Javier and I are trying to think through is, you know, are there ways that we can kind of open up the solution space and find more potential pathways to go down? Well, and does it add to the problem that people are still believe there will be a technological solution that hasn't been arrived at yet that will make this cheaper? And if we just wait, I mean, I, Elon Musk's satellites are one that I've heard from real people like, well, we'll just wait for Elon Musk's satellites to you know, blanket the entire world with, with Wi-Fi and then this won't be a problem. But I mean, do people believe that and, and think that, that, that that's a, a realistic solution? Yeah, and you know, that's why I think it's kind of useful to think about this from a benefit-cost-risk perspective because you know, there is a cost associated with waiting. Um, you know, those are all going to be missed opportunities the longer you wait to get broadband access. But you do have that trade-off of like, well, yeah, it might be cheaper if you wait. Because, um, yeah, we don't know exactly what technologies are going to take off. You know, there's the satellites, there's 5G. There's lots of technologies in the mix that could potentially make a big difference. But there's a huge amount of uncertainty about when that's going to happen and how long it's going to take to reach all of these rural areas. In in, in my reporting on... Uh uh, in rural broadband access, a couple of things that I found was you have a real problem with definitions. Like, how do you define rural? You know, that some people think Rolla, Missouri is rural, but, you know, we have a, a for-profit company that provides pretty good internet in the city boundaries. Um, and then some people think that, you know, rural only means unincorporated areas where there's like two houses every few square miles. Um, then there's the issue of definition of what is broadband mean how fast how many gigs how many megabytes you know the, so when when you're researching the problem how do you look at definitions and how do you look at how that fits into what the possible solutions might be yeah so yeah so we you know haven't gotten super hung up on uh, specific definitions um so you know for example when we think about rural broadband you know basically any place that's struggling with broadband access because of population density, um, probably we're going to lump that all in the same bucket for our purposes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are certainly urban areas that have broadband access issues, but it tends to be more affordability than population density. Um, and then, of course, affordability also can come up in the rural side. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the technologies, so there's definitely transitions going on right now in terms of what are we counting as high-speed access. Um, and part of that is that the things that we use the internet for have been changing over time. Um, and, you know, people have certainly seen this with the pandemic, needing to do video conferencing, thing like, things like that, um, increased bandwidth needs. And so um, 
Right now, the definition is 25 megabits per second download, 3 megabytes per second upload. Um, but there's a lot of people out there campaigning that it needs to be higher. It needs to be 100 symmetric. It needs to be gigabyte symmetric. And part of that is, you know, there are differences between what residents need in terms of access and what a business or like a manufacturing plant is going to need. Um, and so, you know, it can, that's part of the challenge is trying to figure out, you know, how to right size the solution. But keeping in mind what Javier was talking about, that, you know, we're anticipating growth. We're mm-hmm. in, not even just in terms of like, oh, what if a manufacturing plant comes in? Um, but growth just in terms of, you know, if everyone's refrigerator is connected to the Internet, all of that's going to add up. I'm I'm also wondering though because I I've heard some rural broadband initiatives what they end up doing is getting much better internet to a group of people maybe 500 households or businesses that have poor quality meanwhile 10 miles down the road there's you know 100 homes and businesses that have no access but they call it a win for improving rural broadband um, and, and so how do you balance the getting something to everybody and getting acceptable levels to people who have substandard levels? Yeah, no, and that's a huge challenge. Um, yeah, because the way people talk about that is sort of focusing on under underserved. So, you know, they don't have adequate access versus unserved. Like there's just not literally not enough access. Um, and yeah, that's a that's a big challenge. Um, and, I think a lot of federal funding is really focused on trying to reach that unserved population because they are the hardest to reach. That's where you're going to have the hardest time making an economic case for reaching those households. They're typically the farthest away, hardest to reach, lowest population density. Um, And so a lot of times in networks, uh, what can be kind of useful is to try to balance the costs out across a large number of people. And so if you can serve that underserved population um, where – that can kind of get the ball rolling that could potentially make it easier to reach that unserved population later. So it's also this timing issue of trying to figure out who to do what, when, um, where, yeah, like sometimes it might make more sense to wait for the unserved because you'll be able to like have the network be be built out. It'll be closer to them. It won't cost quite as much per household if you wait a little longer. You, you mentioned federal programs. There are state programs, and we've also talked about cost-benefit analysis. Ultimately, though, a lot of that, what we're talking about is, are we using tax dollars well to help get broadband access to people in rural areas? What is the argument to people who live in urban areas that may be choosing between three different providers and they may think, why should any of my tax dollars go to people who've chosen to live in a rural area I don't agree with this. I'm just posing it as a question. But, but you know, it was, it was the same thing that happened in electrification in the 1930s. There were a lot of people in cities that said, well, if, if people in rural areas want electricity, tell them to move to the city. So what's the argument that our tax dollars need to be uh, spent on this? Yeah, I mean, I think it really gets to the idea that, you know, a rising tide helps everyone, helps all boats, or I forget the exact phrase. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of economic development potential in rural areas that could increase the state's GDP. Um, so I think the, the best way to frame it is that you know, urban areas could see benefits from rural broadband getting expanded. Um, so it's, you know, it's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be short term. But in the long term, Everyone's going to be better off if we have better broadband access. And I, I 
there might be an argument also that as housing prices we've seen gone up, if you really could work from anywhere, it's a heck of a lot cheaper to live in a rural area than it is in a, in a, a metro area. And especially as younger people aren't able to get into the housing market, it'd be a lot easier if some of them would come out to rural areas because we got places for sale out here and they're a lot oh, yeah. cheaper. <laughs> Does that get into the economic development thing also that, that I mean, I, I, I hope it, it's not too much of a stretch to say rural America has been in trouble for decades. Um, might broadband internet and being able to work from anywhere be the thing that gets people to move here? Yeah, you know, um, that's one of the the project that we've got in Turney, Missouri. Um, that's one of the challenges that they have there in Clinton County is that, you know, they're within commuting distance of Kansas City. And so they see a lot of people leave the county for work and then come back home. And so that's a lot of tax revenue that the county is losing um, because people aren't working there. Um, so, yeah, so that's a huge challenge. Casey Canfield, Professor of Engineering Management and Systems Engineering at Missouri S&T. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This episode was produced by Jonathan All. Our audio engineer is Aaron Dorr, and our production intern is Avery Rogers. This episode was mixed and edited by Aaron. Alex Hoyer is our executive producer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry, Choosewood.com.